This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everybody and welcome to a very special episode of the Stacey West podcast. You might be noticing it sounds a little bit different, but uh, that's because myself and Gary is with me. Hello. Yeah, there we go. Um, we are sat in uh, Michael Appleton's office, um, which is something I didn't think I'd be saying anytime soon, um, with Liam Scully. Hello. And with Mr. Clyde Nates. How are we doing? I've been, yeah. But cold still after spending, spending an afternoon watching us at Sheffield United. Yeah. But, uh, Hopefully you guys will help warm me up. <laughs> oh, it's not that time. You might misunderstood what we do here. I feel a bit bad now because I'm sat under the heater as well, which um, is quite nice. Yeah, so it's um, I say it's it's a special podcast, really. We we um, we mentioned a while ago. We said we'd like to to try and get Clive on and. Um, Liam, who is making enough appearances to possibly be a new co-host at some point, um, has kindly agreed. So thank you for coming, Clive. We know it's uh, it's quite tight when you get your, your time back in Lincoln, but it's it's really appreciated that you're here. Um, so we just wanted to, to sort of really get, start off with, kind of ease into a discussion really, but finding out a little bit more about, um, sort of, we know about Clive Nates, the chairman. We know about Clive Nates, the you know the investor in the club. A little bit more about Clive Nates, the person. So, what what was it that attracted you to to Lincoln City in the first place, and um, your footballing history in general? And I think we were talking about Everton. I mean, obviously, we know the Everton connection. Yes. But mm-hmm. Kind of what appealed about the club once you were interested as well. Well, obviously, yeah, it was the Everton connection. That got me to follow Lincoln City, and when I decided I wanted to invest in English football club, Lincoln City was just the obvious choice. And I sent off that message to the club, asking to be put in touch with uh, Bob. Gave Bob a call. He was in, funnily enough, in Cape Town at the time, and actually thought with the South African phoning up to say he wanted to invest in Lincoln City. That this potentially could be a prank call, <laughs> um, but fortunately he, he spoke to me. I came over for the first time in March 2015, 
it's been a week here. I wasn't scared off by the fact that the first game I watched, we lost 2-0 at home to Welling, oh. who were in the bottom four. <laughs> Always remember Sam Delano York getting sent off right towards the end. And uh, the following week, the Tuesday night, I went off to watch us draw 0 at Alfreton and stood on the terrace with about 100 of our fans. And... I don't know, probably crazy because that appealed to me. Wow. I think um, I think that, that also that connection you've got with the fans as well, um, and that kind of hints a little bit, I think, at Clive the person, is that you're often on the terraces or you're often seen kind of sat in the stands. Do you think that's kind of reflective of the style that you have as the chairman, is that you kind of have that connection with all areas of the club rather than an ivory tower pulling the strings? I think it's just firstly the way I like to watch football um, the way I am as a person if I can avoid things I'll avoid wearing a suit okay so that makes it easier when I go to away games I don't have to put on a suit I think there are a couple of times where I actually did go to away games and sat with the directors and the thing that didn't appeal to me is that you're sitting with the home fans you're near the home directors and if we score I like to get excited about it and you can't really do that uh, if you're sitting with the home fans mm. and yeah football is all about emotion and getting excited about a game and, and I think my choice would actually be to stand during a game you know if we go to away games and there's an option to stand like there is at Wimbledon I'd rather stand and watch the game. I think that fits with quite a few of our fans, but it causes yes. <laughs> it causes some issues at times, doesn't it? Yeah. With, um, with with standing and that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, in terms of you say you're a football fan, obviously we're aware of the Everton connection. It was that we were never Everton fan from a child. I mean, how how's your football journey brought you up to um, to Everton and then to Lincoln? Yeah, for uh, I'm not sure exactly what age that I started to get interested in football and. Uh, Obviously, I, would, I started off by going to watch games in South Africa. And the reason I chose an English football team was because what anybody did in South Africa, if they were a football fan, they would adopt an English football team. And on the way back from school, there were two friends that lived in the same area as me. And all the way back, they were busy arguing. One was a Liverpool fan and the other was a Man United fan. I just thought, well, I've got to choose an English football club as well. And my hero was Alan Ball, who was the youngest member of the 1966 World Cup winning team. And he played for Everton, so that became my club. That was actually one of the questions we had got as well, was um, which player, past or present, would you have been if you could have been? Would that have been Alan Ball? At that early age, yes. Um, if you go a bit f- further down the road... I would have loved to have been Neville Southall. Um, I like to play goalkeeper. I was never as quite as good as Liam, but uh, you know, I love Neville Southall. You know, just the character and you know, how he was just so dedicated to doing the best uh, that he could possibly be. About you, Liam, who would you have been if you could have been anybody? 
Uh, so yeah, my, my sins are, uh, I grew up on the cop at Bramall Lane and, and Alan Kelly was uh, was my hero, so yeah, as a, as a goalkeeper he was the, the one I certainly followed and spent a lot of my youth watching and, and trying to emulate on the park. Would you have been a keeper, Ben? It seems to have been a theme. Uh, I mean, I, I've got the figure for it now. If you stick me in the goal, I'll probably take most... Bit of fed keepers. I'll, I'll take most of it up. You know, going down the uh, the Rose, you know, the Neville Southall route. That sort of route. Um, no, I don't know. I, I, think, um, I think it was growing up as a Lincoln fan with, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people will probably pick up in a second with a Man United shirt in his, dress, uh, in his wardrobe as well. Um, I did... Did want to be Cantona. Um, Everybody wanted to be Cantona, even yeah, if you were apart from Liverpool fans. Well, there you go. Um, it was want to be Cantona. I'm from Man United. Yeah, but <laughs> when he left Man United, it was that that oh, I don't know. He just had something. He, he's even his film um, Looking for Eric. I, I've got that's my. Yeah. I think I've got a bit of a man crush on. <laughs> I think that's why I've got the beard now because I saw he had gone. He made it look cool. Admittedly, his isn't ginger. Yeah, you can't get away without giving us yours. No. I'm not sure who I would do. I, I, I'd, I'd probably pick somebody who played for Lincoln. I think we've got a, we've got an emergency. I think I'd probably have picked probably Pete again. So, oh, okay. I was, if it was a Lincoln player, I would have said Ainsworth. Cool. Yeah, um, so we, we did put some questions out as well, Clive. And it, I, I, are you happy if I press on? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the people wanted to know in your time at Lincoln and we'll present squad aside because we don't want to be asking any kind of splitting questions. Which player um, have you most enjoyed watching in the Lincoln shirt? I think it would probably be Reedy. I mean, uh, yeah, he was something different. He was special. You know, even with three kicks, you know, trying to put off the opposing goalkeeper. And he was just a lovely person to have around. You know, very easy to speak to, always a, a good word. He spoke quite highly of the club as well, didn't he? I think yeah. he did a podcast yeah. with Under the Cosh recently, and he spoke yeah, highly of the brilliant club. Brilliant listen, that one. before and after. Yeah, yeah so, it was a fantastic listen. Didn't necessarily have some kind words about uh, Glenn Tamplin, but no, who would? <laughs> so a bit, uh, bit good to see Reedy leave, or just natural progression. Yeah, I think we'd moved up to a level where. We probably needed better, to be absolutely honest, in League One. And, you know, in order to bring in somebody like Tyler, then he had to make that choice that uh, really had to move on. Okay. That kind of transitions into my part two, Ben. So are you happy with uh, intro? Or um, I, I wanted to say, obviously, sort of moving into to the next sort of set of questions, really. You've been recently quite outspoken on social media about um, the sort of trend, if you like, where the, the, the Premier League clubs and supporters and um, particularly in the media that, that cover the Premier League um, about the, you know, the, the solution to the fixture congestion being to scrap replays and, and that sort of, that sort of idea. I mean, obviously as, as a club, we're recording this on the day that, you know, it's three years to the day since the Burnley game and we wouldn't have gotten to that stage if it weren't for replays and we wouldn't be in the position that we're in now questionably without that run so when you look at the game as a whole and looking at the from from the Premier League down to where we are and, and further down further down the pyramid what's your take on it where do you 
how do you feel the game is is progressing? Where do you feel that it's going? Is it something that you're worried about? Is it something that you you see the conversations happening at, at that higher level and you think, well, mm, you know, we can't write off that that bottom ninety percent of of clubs. It's only the from a media point of view, it seems like it's only the top, you know, the top twenty that that matter. Um, what's your, you know, how, how do you feel about where the media is going and, and where the game's going? You know, if I look back, I mean, obviously Everton became my team, but I think even before that, I fell in love with English football, the whole football pyramid. That's. You know what was exciting about English football. You know everything was so organised. You had this history, and it wouldn't only be Everton I would be looking at. It would be all the divisions. You know the promotions and relegations, the second division, the third division, fourth division. It was all exciting for somebody. You know all those thousands of miles away. The cup competitions. The romance of those, uh, the FA Cup in particular, um, that's what I think not only got me, but probably got most fans interested in English football. But it's probably, I would imagine, very, very different now. I think people from overseas are looking at only the Premier League and are probably choosing just one of the big six Mm -hmm. to support and that's where the focus is and I think also with all those big clubs being owned or maybe it's strange to say but by foreigners many of which probably don't really care about the history of of football in England it's all about uh, the team that they back Um, so you know that's where the emphasis is and I think uh, even if you look right at the top at FIFA, I think it's all about money. And that's what's driving football. Mm. Um, and the result of that is there are too many games, without a doubt, but it's too many games in Europe, which is then compromising the local cup competitions. And unfortunately, I don't see that changing. So, you know, there are already plans to increase the number of games uh, in Europe. And I think, firstly, that will probably mean an end to the League Cup. And probably it will ultimately lead to replays falling away, maybe even in the third and fourth rounds. Mm. I mean, it's interesting because the a lot of the conversation around it at the moment seems to be when people say, oh, we need to scrap replays because we need the FA, you know, the FA Cup starts in December, seems to be a lot of the, the talk about it. And it's like, well, yes, it probably does start in December, but it's the previous December for the smaller clubs that are going through the the, the qualifying rounds. It, it just seems to be, everyone forgets that, you know, League One, League Two, the, Confer- uh, the National League Conference, I'm just slipping back into it there, but, you know, the National League and, and the, the lowest lower echelons feel like they are irrelevant completely when it when some of the people are talking about it and what what I noticed when you were bringing it up on on social media was that it was somebody like Gary Lineker who is essentially an English football icon 
was the person that was leading this charge saying, oh, we need to scrap replays and we need to have this conversation about not starting the, the competition in December. And it's like, well, it doesn't. And you know that. Everybody knows that. So why are you peddling it? And it it was frustrating for me and I, I felt the frustration from yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, in particular, I think Jim White summed it up mm. with his comment, everyone would be happy if we did away with replays. Mm. Everyone. Yeah. You know, and to him, everyone was the Premier League or the top six teams. You know, there was no even thought process about what happens in lower leagues. Mm. And that's where we've got to at the moment. So, Shane, I'd pick up on your point with the League Cup. Um, I mean, speaking from a fan point of view, I actually don't think it'd be that much of a, 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 an issue if we lost the League Cup. Um, personally, I think the EFL trophy, leasing.com trophy, whichever takes a lot of stick. But in terms of financial recompense, um, it's my understanding that the, the EFL trophy is probably more lucrative to clubs like Lincoln than the League Cup is, unless you progress through six or seven rounds. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But I think it it would affect the football league because, or the by that I mean the EFL because I think there's something around the League Cup that's very important for the EFL and having that relationship with the Premier League and Premier League teams playing in the EFL. So the issues there that you know I'm not quite sure about. I think they go back to the 1800s, don't they? When mm. the, the FA Cup was, I think that was the first cup competition, and then the league started up. I think that's a probably a battle that um, we won't be able to settle in a podcast, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so happy Ben, yeah, absolutely, good, good. What well, we've kind of broke it up into little periods. So we're going to do the intro, and then we wanted to talk very much about transfer window, current model and that sort of thing, if you're all right. One thing people were really interested in was your level of involvement in a transfer from start to finish. Because people don't understand entirely how a transfer is, how a transfer goes through. You know, in the olden days, a manager would pick up a phone, I want you, the player would come in. So as a chairman, at what point do you hear or know about targets? And then what's kind of your level of involvement through to the end? Okay, we have a football committee meeting uh, every month. So that's attended by Jez, Michael, myself, Liam, Roger Bates and David Lowe's. And obviously in those meetings, one of the things we would talk about is future targets, future plans for changes in the, in the team. So that would probably be the first place you'd start hearing about what the football department is looking at doing in the next transfer window. But it's it's a dynamic process because you can target players and a couple of weeks later one of those players may lo- may not may, will no longer be available, others will become available. And there'll be a constant flow of information from the likes of either Jez or Liam through to the exco committee, myself, David and Roger, um, about what is happening with uh, potential targets. And what would happen is that the football department then would, if they identify a particular target, would look to take it up to a particular point at which they would then refer that to the exco committee for approval as to... 
a transfer fee if there is a transfer fee or the terms of the contract to be offered to the player and once that approval is given as to the sort of guidelines um, that could <coughs> that could form part of that contract then it would be up to the likes of Liam and Jez to look to complete uh, that transfer. Obviously you say it's quite a, a convoluted process as well. I imagine there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Is that particularly frustrating if you get so far down the line on a deal and then uh, things go belly up at last minute? Oh, absolutely. There's always that possibility. I think in the time when Danny and Nicky were around, we actually had a player in the building had agreed to sign and then at the last minute for whatever reason he decided he didn't want to join and he joined the, another club <laughs> we've had another player that had flown in and was intercepted at the airport and headed off to sign for another club but then we had the positive of Sean Raggett heading up to see another club in the north of England and on the way there something happened where suddenly we had the opportunity to get him to come to Sinsa Bank and he was convinced to join us so there was another club that thought they were going to get Sean and at the last minute we got involved and he signed for us sounds like it'd be quite exciting to be involved in yeah <laughs> to be honest sounds a bit like it's uh, you know sort of on the high seas you know a bit, little bit of skullduggery and you know Making sure that uh, your target is the one that you want. Making sure that you get your man. Yeah. Um, are you happy, Ben, for me to carry on? I did this when we had uh, was it Liam or Michael? I kept chipping in and uh, yeah, and because and, uh, I know you don't have a piece of paper in front of you. Again. Well, we all know my level of preparation yes. for the podcast. <laughs> you brought the laptop, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you brought yourself. Um, so obviously, yeah, yeah, lots of interest in the model as we call it, because it seems to have evolved, um, certainly from last season and in comments in the, in the paper today, obviously, and in the paper, that doesn't happen anymore, but there was talk about, you know, we spent last year, that's no secret, to get out of League Two, and we're now in a position where the model is changing significantly. And there's quite a few questions, I think, around that. And the first one is, we're bringing lots of young players in, we've got exciting young players in the youth team as well. Um, does the model have any scope, or do you think, for introducing another... Uh, level of football in the football club predominantly an under 23 level at all okay so we're not looking at an under 23 model I mean one of the disadvantages of the under 23 model is that very few players in that under 23 model will actually come through and be good enough for the first team Mm -hmm. so you've got a whole lot of players that are just going to be filling up spots in order for you to field an under 23 team And it also is another level before the players can actually get into the first team. So for us, we feel the best model is when players are good enough to already start training with the first team. Also, there will be the possibility that we're looking at some sort of relationship with a team, a league uh, below us, um, where we would be able to send out those players uh, on loan for a period of time to help them develop. So that would be more the type of model that we would be looking at. That's quite interesting because one of the questions was, is there a, uh, an avenue that we might investigate where we look at a team a level or two lower would probably be non-league? So that's something that the club would or is considering, is it? 
Yes, some early discussions have been held. Um, you know, we probably still need the academy to mature for another year or so before we're able to actually press the button on that. Okay, that's uh, that's quite interesting. Mm. Um, and um, moving forwards, obviously, the transfer policy over the summer, do you think that with hindsight what's happened, we would have looked to have been bringing younger players in and a set of, uh, speeding the model up more under the, under the old manager or new manager? I mean, the process started... Um, you know, with the likes of George and Jack coming in, but obviously those are not as young as the type of players that Michael has brought in. But it was certainly part of the model evolving from having older players that wouldn't have res- resale value. Um, and that's the sort of model that we sold to Michael and one of the attractions of bringing in a manager like Michael. Now, nobody said to him, you have to bring in players age 19 or 20 or whatever. That was the model. And if Michael had preferred, he could have brought in more players around the same age as, say, George or Jack. But this is his model as well, that he, you know, he is looking to bring in players probably you know, a few years younger than had been brought in under under the previous management team. Okay, and I think in the paper you said as well that things happened quite quickly over the winter window and probably um, the level of incomings and outgoings was accelerated by unforeseen factors, players going out, etc. Um, but genuinely, um, you feel that the progress over the summer was is quicker than you imagined and more positive uh, than some people are kind of commenting on social media? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we made a lot more progress than we thought we would. And maybe initially it has had some negative effect uh, on results. But, you know, for the longer term and certainly looking into next season, the fact that we've done so much business uh, in the January transfer window, I think, sets us up better to to go into next season. The interesting thing there is that when you use the word progress, talking about January, where there's a lot of negativity around certain sections. And I think to hear you say that there was progress made in January. It's quite reassuring because I think, I know that I'm looking at it and I'm sure Gary is as well, that it is that longer term goal that's been trying to be achieved by the club at the minute. Um, and you know, I think everyone said we don't want to, don't want to necessarily bring in results too much, but we, we've we got one eye, one eye on you know, being in League One again next season. And I think in terms of, the development of the club, I think you've, you've got it spot on when you say about. I mean, the priority for this season was consolidation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Danny might not have wanted to use that word, but that was the priority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sure, if we had been in a higher position, maybe the philosophy in January would have been different. But with us, I think, being so close to have secured that objective, the priority then turned towards putting us in the best position for next season. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as if the board went and said to Michael, you've got to do this and that. Mm-hmm. I mean, things evolved. Michael was making the decisions. There was no pressure from the board to do anything other than the overall model 
which is to move towards getting better value for players and having a model where we could generate profits from players, as many League One clubs do. We only have, a, have to have a look at what Oxford generated just before the end of the transfer window. Mm-hmm. And that's the model we're trying to move to. It's something that Michael did very successfully at Oxford. As a club, do you think there will be challenges, or certainly as a board rather, do you think there will be challenges to that from certain sections of fans? Because obviously the Oxford model, the Peterborough model, are both notable in the fact that players are making big money moves. But at the time, that, that also attracts criticism. And I'd say rightly or wrongly, in my opinion, wrongly, but that will then attract criticism for a lack of ambition. Do you think that's a challenge that the board uh, are going to have to overcome should the model be successful when players start moving on? That's the reality. If I if I was a billionaire or I had billionaire friends that came in, we wouldn't need to do that. But the reality is we have to. And without doing that, we can't hope to try and move on to the next level, which is still the ambition of the board of directors. Um, to have one year of consolidation, and even if it's another year of consolidation doesn't mean we've accepted that this club can't move on. We still very much believe that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the club. Getting Danny and Nicky in, what they produced, the FA Cup run, the ability to generate all that money that built or funded the EPC, everything that has happened, three trophies in three seasons, the increase in... Uh, average attendance from two and a half to over nine thousand. Without all those things being in place, we would have to settle just to maybe being like so many of the other clubs in either League Two or League One. But we still want to try and do the best we can, try and take the club as far as we possibly can. A lot of challenges, a lot of things that need to happen, but that's still the ambition. Obviously, you, <clears throat> in terms of the model that kind of started as well with players moving on, you've said that one in particular, or, uh, one transfer in particular, kind of took the club by surprise. But um, even though in, in, in the uh, age of undisclosed fees, I'm assuming that some of those transfers were lucrative enough to help boost next season's budget and, and help us achieve consolidation. From that point of view, from a financial point of view, and again, it wasn't that wasn't the target that we we set Michael but the way it turned out we from a financial point of view we had a very successful transfer window excellent yeah I think that's succinct yeah yeah um, I, I did want to say um, just to touch on the the, the transfer that Darry's referring to there I mean you say it came as a surprise to to the club Um with the uh, with, with the fact that, that Toph moved on, in in what sense was it a surprise? I know it's going to be a difficult question to answer, but how were you expecting anything like that to happen? Or I suppose that there was always the possibility that it could happen to any of our players. I mean, and that's what the football department did. You know, they had to prepare ahead of the transfer window that any one of those players might have to move on mm-hmm. for various reasons. So there were always contingencies in place if that should happen. 
And yes, uh, you know, Harry had done exceptionally well uh, in League One. He had really, you know, made that jump up and uh, was probably our star player in the first half of the season. And with Huddersfield not having a first team left back, I suppose there was always that possibility. Cool. Okay. And also, touch, you touched there on um, not having billionaire friends, but obviously the board as a whole have been able to attract um, additional investment over the last couple of years, which has not only brought money into the club, but also expertise. Is that search ongoing um, for additional revenue? Is it something that you're, um, you're kind of actively seeking as a board? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Sportfest and the existing investor base, including people that are on the board, have put in around three and a half million pounds into the club um, since the beginning of 2016. Um, so... That's obviously helped us get to where we are today. Um, there's obviously still the potential to put in more money. But if we are going to continue on this um, ambitious uh, target, we have to find additional sources of investment. And that is an ongoing basis for us uh, to try and find that. And um, I seem to remember having a conversation with Liam actually once about investment in a football club. And uh, I think it was put that it's not particularly an investment, it's almost a, a gift, a gift yeah. to the football club. So, from an investment point of view, what addition, what, what kind of, I mean, I'm just interested in what motivates yourself and the board to keep putting the money and keep coming back and, and showing the sort of commitment to the club that, you know, that most other football club fans probably dream of from their owner. Was insanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I can identify with that. It's why we watch. It's why we watch at least two North Welling. Why? Why? Why do you all mm. come and watch Lincoln City? I mean, it's just twenty-two people kicking a ball around. Um, but we've all bought into this. Uh, it's the excitement. It's uh, the challenge. Um, it's trying to achieve something. And I don't think, I mean, all right, like I said, I was crazy enough to say even a defeat to Welling and a draw to Alfreton was enough to excite me. But I don't think we would have got in this investment without what happened, or the size of this investment, without what would have happened, without that FA Cup run, the successes that we've had, the increase in the fan base. I mean, to get people to come to Simsel Bank as they walk out from the director's box or the director's area uh, in the Solenity stand and you look across at the co-op and you see the pack co-op, you see the 617. It's it's exciting for anybody to, to see that. And without that increase in that, in that fan base, there's no ways even I would have decided well I'm going to throw a lot more money in it in this venture than I had intended um, you had to see that potential otherwise why do it very good and one, one question because we put some questions out one kind of point that people kept coming back to was with the results the way they are and you know we're not football isn't a 
purely a results business over six or seven games. The season ticket window's coming up. The importance, as you say, of a packed co-op stand of passionate fans is massive, not just for investors, but for new players, etc. So ahead of that season ticket window, with some people maybe wondering where which direction the club's going in, what sort of personal message would you send to those people? I would say that as much as it's dependent on existing investors putting money in and finding new investors to supplement that, it's absolutely as critical that the fan base remains loyal to the club. Because without that, is there really a point in trying to take us up to the championship? Um, It's key. It's absolutely key. Cool. Anything, Ben? We did get asked in, uh, about the um, if we establish what are the club's aims, but I think that's quite clear. Obviously, the aim is championship football one way or another. Um, anything before we move on to the ground, which the supporters board seem to yeah. have a question about every single time we meet, Liam? He'll probably be. <laughs> Anything from you, Ben? Um, it, it's, um, I think we've covered a lot of it. I think that the... The biggest thing for me is, as, as you say, it's probably going to come up more in the in the, the final little area. So I think we'll move on. Cool. Um, so obviously we've recently had some uh, tentative drawings go out for the Stacey West. They were for illustrative purposes only, but people started pulling the design apart. Um, but we'll skip across that because it was quite clear. Um, but obviously there's talk of the new ground. There's talk of developing the... Uh, the, the Stacey West end as well and um, we'll bring Liam in briefly on this because I don't think he said too much unfortunately and <laughs> um, do you want Liam can you just explain the actual current situation with ground development and how that fits into a long term plan with the new ground yeah so the, the planning permission that, that went in was, was ultimately about unlocking opportunities and unlocking future um, areas that we, we could look to, to take the strategy forward so you know as you've recently seen that planning permission was a uh, successful. Um, so, should the club opt to develop the Stacey West Stand, we're now in a position where we where we can do that. The stage that we enter now, quite quite simply, is we need to fundraise and understand through grant giving agencies and through local commercial relationships whether that's the, you know the, a reality. We can turn that into reality because you know with the future and and the question around whether we remain or, or, or move to a potentially new developed site, what we've got to look at is what that that return on investment um, and the time period that that would happen and you know in any normal kind of stadium or stand development you would be say looking at over a 10 15 maybe even 20 year period whereas with this you've got to look at it far more short term um, you know maybe maybe even as little as, as five years um, and I think it's just about keeping options open more than anything it's not necessarily you know any fixed decision this is a moving feast and I know that sounds awfully woolly um, but we're in a we're, we're managing a live situation. It's not you know it's not something that anybody has a great deal of certainty right now as to which direction things are going. So I think from our point of view, from a club point of view, all we're trying to do is 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 open options by dealing with those administrative hurdles that you can face um, if you've not got your your ducks in a row. And just to clarify, the drawings with the uh, with the posts in a way were for illustrative purposes only. <laughs> well, look, listen. One, one of the things that I think we can deal with 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 here and now is the fact that um, you know, looking again at that five year return on investment, um, you know, a cantilever stand, you know, almost doubles the the cost of the project. So, you know, for us to remove pillars. 
um, and, and they're very different pillars to, to kind of the pillars of all. But if, for us to remove that, it, it makes the project you know, not viable. Um, should something fundamental change, um, then of course, yeah, you know, the, the dream would be to have that, that cantilever stand. But, but equally, you know, being pragmatic and realistic, um, you know, we, we, we're dealing with, you know, a decision that, that potentially could, could help in the short term. But equally, if it becomes a long term development, it's something that we're also proud of. So, yeah, it's, um, it's just managing um, with, with, with every eventuality in mind, really. Yeah, I think I know that the, the previous conversation that we've had, um, we, we had a conversation around this before when you said about the you know, possibility of temporary seating. I think the return on investment for that, you said if you put temporary seating in, it would have to be a complete sellout for something along the lines of around 50 games, was it? Yeah, yeah I think so, 90 games, I think it was. Yeah, so it, it's, it's understanding that in terms of a, you know, redeveloping a stand as opposed to putting in some temporary seating. It's obviously a, a bigger job, so understanding that from... From a fan's point of view, it's like, okay, right, we obviously, it would be lovely to redevelop it and going back to what Clive said about sticking with the sticking with the club and sticking with the team, keeping that in, you know, keeping the attendances high enough um, for that to be a viable option. Yeah, and, and, and I think the, the one thing I can assure people, and, and look, you know, I can't say I, I, I you know, I, I massively kind of uh, go through, you know, social media or Facebook or, or, or the fans forum sites. But, you know, every now and then when I do look and I, and I see these kind of fag packet maths around how, you know, it's a no-brainer decision and the club should do X, Y and Z. The one thing I can assure people, I, I promise you, with the skills and knowledge that we have on the board um, and hopefully, you know, with with the team that work in day in, day out of the club, hopefully the fans will start to realise and, and, and they'll understand that I, I promise you behind the scenes we're, we are doing those maths. We are looking at those eventualities and we're looking at those scenarios um, no st- stone will ever be left unturned um, but often the, the information and, and, and the outcome of, of, of decisions such as that are kind of quite clear or, or proven when you, you kind of put a full business case together um, you know for example you know redeveloping the salinity stand as a, as a whole it would just it's just completely unviable as a, as a project given what we'd have not just because of the loss of tenants the loss of offices the actual you know the structure and the development the fact that egress is through the corners of the stands and you'd be losing that you know the, the, these things don't you know have, have got to come into to mind and, and i think the one thing i would say is you know to give people a bit of a clue when when they put the numbers out there around the average ticket and the price that they think we get i think a lot of people forget about vat I think a lot of people forget about other processing fees and, and equally the fact that, you know, our, our attendance isn't all, you know, adults. So the actual ticket price that we're receiving, you know, is far closer to £10 than it is, you know, the £24 yeah. that, that people think that we're, you know, that we're receiving. So and those are have season tickets in that as well that the money's already come in for. And... Yeah, you know, and, and, and look, you can you can see it in the in, in the accounts that have been published. You now, our average ticket price, I think we've, we've done a very good job at raising that, but through... You know, innovative and, and kind of creative strategies that don't mean the end user is is paying more, um, but but ultimately through through things that we can do. You know, it wasn't a particularly popular decision at the time, but again, moving the um, the, the family stand area, the introduction of the legends lounge. You know, because we we have committed in the immediate to a single tier pricing policy. So, for example, if you sit in the middle on the halfway line of the co op compared to, to to lower block one, you know, you 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 pay the same price and. You don't get that in many stadiums. You know, we, we will, by that default, we will have one of the highest, lowest ticket prices and one of the lowest, highest ticket prices. Uh, but that's, you know, that that's just part of our whole decision-making and the makeup of our football club. And again, you know, 
not to be so sycophantical or whatever with, with Clive in the room, but when we're making those decisions, they're the type of interventions and Clive as chairman is, is, is always talking about, you know, how the fact that people that probably sit on the halfway line have, have been coming for a number of years and um, and, and that seat has, has been theirs for a number of times. So you can't then make rash decisions that, that would impact that, that, that decision, uh, you know, in, in one fell swoop. Yeah. Okay. So, flicking that over uh, to you Clive as well obviously talking about ticket prices is, is quite an emotive subject um, and it was brought to us on the supporters board the season ticket prices I hold my hands up I, I suggested that we put season ticket prices up I don't think that was the overall steer but that was my personal choice um, and, and the board decided to hold tickets and make minor adjustments um, in terms of kind of discussions how how tough is it to balance the financial gain that could be made by putting ticket prices up with the potential backlash from from supporters or trying to gauge their reaction? Look, it's almost like a last resort, you know, putting the putting prices up. Ideally, we would would not want to do that, but like I said before, we don't have the money on our own to continue that journey without everybody playing a part and that's the fan base like I said growing from two and a half to nine thousand providing that funding not only um, you know through attendances but you know through the merchandise that they purchase so all that plays a part in helping us maintain the momentum of the club and is trying to find that balance and if anything I'd like to think we were on the side of conservatism in you know, passing that on to to our fan base and um, we just obviously discussed with Liam um, about kind of it still being you know, a new stadium is still on the cards but not it's kind of swinging either way um, is that First of all, is it a question that kind of either of you get sick of answering because it seems to be all the time? But in terms of going to the championship, do you think an increase in capacity is going to be a necessity rather than a, a, a choice that's made? Well, initially, you know, you would hope that through the expansion of the Stacey West, that at least initially would provide you, you know, a, with enough room to see you through hopefully those initial years in the championship. If the club was able to establish itself in the championship, we still have this wonderful fan base that we have, that could then lead to another decision um, about what we do here. Again, at that point, it would depend on whether we have any further clarity on the Western Grove Corridor. So, you know, it's, it's multiple things that you would be taking into account in making that decision. And just to touch on something that Gary's mentioned, um, obviously the, the accounts came out a little while ago. How difficult is it when you're behind the scenes and you, you know what's going to come out, how difficult is it to get the, the message out in the right way to fans? Because obviously we saw a lot of the kind of a knee-jerk reaction from from some fans saying, oh, the club's lost two, you know, two million pounds, it's it's going under. And it's like, we discussed this on the podcast and we said, ultimately, it's not about the, it's not necessarily about the loss, it's about the level of debt that the club has. And ultimately, as far as we're aware, there isn't any, you know, it, it's that, 
it's it's that conversation to have where you see clubs that operate on you know in, in our division and even the division below where there's a huge amount of debt that's owed to either the owner of the club or a, you know something like that when you think if that owner pulls out of the club the club's gone the day after um how difficult is it for you to like i say get that messaging right to the fans and and to put that across without seeing the panic happen if you like I think we've explained it um, you know with the release of the results if you look through the annual financial statements and you look at the strategic report um, you know it's detailed there um, sure we would like would have liked less losses than we incurred but the fact is all those losses have been covered by uh, investment uh, into the club mm-hmm. and you know right from the beginning when I came in every bit of money that's come in from Sportvest or any of the other investors that have come in has been via equity there's no director's loans anymore on the balance sheet those were there, those were those that were there when I joined the club have all been repaid once we got promoted back into the EFL mm-hmm. and the only real debt that we have on the balance sheet is the bonds mm-hmm. that fans have invested firstly just directly into the club and then specifically to fund the, the EPC and with those bonds we know the repayment dates, you know we can prepare for it, it's not like the case of having a bank overdraft or even loan facilities like we had with the co-op bank that could be called up at any time, I mean to have facilities like that is just crazy for a football club to have. Mm. And we're not going to get into that position. So if we can't find the investment um, and we don't have the money to finance our ambitious targets, it's going to mean we're going to have to cut back on that. But we're not going to take on debt um, you know, to fund those dreams. I think one of the things that stood out to me was when at the um, at previous fans forum when you said that the um, the goal was or the, the promise was that you wouldn't put any unsustainable losses or unsustainable debt on the football club and you wouldn't risk the future of the football club over uh, some you know if, if for example Michael came to you tomorrow and said oh I need you know I need half a million pounds to buy this player and I think he'll make the difference so I think that's where you'd say well no, because that would then put the future of the club yeah. in jeopardy. If we couldn't fund that player, we just wouldn't be able to make that acquisition. I think if we go back to the start of our second season in League Two, um, we have probably used up most of our budget. But the only real alternative for the striker that Danny wanted was John Akindi. And together with the transfer fee and what we had to give him to get him to come up to Central Bank, um, we had to we had to exceed the budget. So what happened is Sportfest put in additional funds to enable that to happen. But if we weren't in a position to do that, we would have had to say move on to a far cheaper target. Hmm. It's it's. It, it's reassuring to know that as 
you know, as, as a fan and as somebody that's quite close to the club in the capacity that we are, it's 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 quite reassuring to hear that sort of statement come. So it's yeah, it's appreciated. I think it's quite frustrating why I hear comparisons to other seasons at the moment and we kind of yes. segue nicely into social media now, don't yeah, we? Yeah. Because um, as <laughs> I know you don't check it, Liam, it's probably best not to. <laughs> don't don't do a search, honestly. Although you can search Scully now and it's not all bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I don't know if you were aware of that. I, I actually in a write-up the other day I actually said I, I typed the words and Liam Scully turned in the six yard area before I thought about <laughs> so, That is when you do need to start. <laughs> so there's some positivity there. Um, but Clive, you're I would say you're, you, you sit in between uh, two different types of owner for me because there is, a, in terms of social media usage, because there's an Andy Hole and a Dara McAntony who, you know, and I, I quite like those guys, but they are there all the time. And then there are other owners that are completely away from social media. And you come across, and this is meant in entirely the right way, as a lurker, in that you see everything and hear everything, but you only choose very succinct times to respond. Um, in terms of social media and in terms of the fact that we know you see everything even though you don't reply to it, do you see it at this present time as a as a, a positive influence for the club or a negative in, influence for the club or a bit of both? You're talking about social media. Social media in feedback. General, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah, genuine. How, how in terms of, you know, do you find that it, it could be damaging to the club? Do you think that some people like myself take it too much to heart? I mean... How do you view that? <laughs> smile? I can imagine that, that you know you must have an incredibly thick skin at times when it comes to to checking on Twitter and searching. Yeah, personally, I think you do take it too much to heart. I think you do need to relax a bit more. <laughs> um, yeah, look, the world is made up of different people. There are those that are more negative. There are those that are more positive. And it's just how they are. There are those that are also wind-up merchants that take advantage of social media to enhance their status. And those are the, pro- are the ones that I would say I least like. Um, I can understand somebody being negative and that's the way, they, the way they are. Or maybe not even negative. They worry more than, you know, maybe... You know, a different type of person. Um, so you can, you know, you can understand that. And what I always find quite interesting, and why I maybe don't have to come on very often, is that if somebody puts out a negative comment, it normally turns out to be the longest thread because there are so many people coming on to actually give the other side of that negative comment which I actually find extremely positive. Um, yeah, I've probably come on a bit more than normal in you know recent weeks or months, but I think it's more important when the club is maybe going through can I say, a more difficult period or a different period that we've had over the last three years. I think we've all got to be a lot more visible and it's something that we've discussed at the last EXCO meeting, we need to be out there. We need to be explaining. Um, I think we've got to you know, fill that void that's out there. People don't understand um, the direction that we're going in. It's interesting because obviously I saw um, an exchange about 
certainly results in the long short term and football being a results business and you referenced your kind of previous business and how football was much more um, about investment as well do you think that's a message that um, is kind of really important to hammer home because it's not something that we've people talk about it being a results business but you kind of flipped that on its side and for people that didn't hear that do you just want to kind of clarify how you uh, how you approached that for instance yeah, well, Liam will know. I mean, there's one thing that blows my mind, this, that statement in football, results end off. When? One game, five games, ten games? You know, it, it's just far too simplistic to do that. And, you know, at various times on Twitter or on that occasion, on Facebook, I mean, I've given examples and the likes of Alex Ferguson, fourth season, and he went through an 11-game run without a win. I mean, and that was after major signings that summer, Neil Webb, Mike Phelan, uh, Gary Pallister, uh, Paul Lintz. He had gone out and spent money, and he and a, somebody that turned out to be the most successful manager in English football history, went through 11 games without a win to see Manchester United in 17th place in February. And I still can't believe that the board didn't fire him. But what happened? He was a few months away from winning his first trophy, FA Cup, I think the next season was the Cup Winners' Cup. And not long after came league title after league title. Howard Kendall is another example I gave the most successful Everton manager. Two and a half years into his reign, Everton had gone through a month of December where they hadn't scored a goal. Last game in December, they lost 3-0 to Wolverhampton Wanderers, who picked up their first home win of the season. 3-0. But the amazing thing is eight members of their team that lost 3-0 at Wolves, bottom of the table, just five months later won the FA Cup and 16 months later won the league title. So, you know, there's got to be more than just saying results end of and being able to judge it on that basis and say, this team is useless, these players are useless, the manager's useless, we need a change. And I'm not saying there's never a time that you might have to get rid of a manager, but... It's not based just on results. Excellent. I think, yeah. <laughs> There's no follow-up to that. Really. No, we, we always try and, we always say, you know, we're looking for the, uh, we're looking for the, the headline and the title of the podcast. I think that's a, that's a decent one. Definitely. I, don't, I just think from our point of view as well on the pod, I think it's a strong message. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, we've lost five, draw one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Lost five, draw one. But, but, I actually don't think the football's been that bad in some of the games. We were talking off air beforehand and we yeah. know the Portsmouth game wasn't great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we switched over to the Accrington game and, uh, you know, under t- difficult conditions, we've scored three away from home. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, that's a million miles away from Welling when we lost 2-0, <laughs> isn't yeah. it? And, it's, you know, I've even when I've put out some of these comments on maybe Twitter, I've had a retort as well that, well, that was at different times and football has changed. Well, I don't quite buy that because... You know, even have a look at Jurgen Klopp when he took over at Liverpool. Mm. First 17 games, he only won six of them. They lost 3-0 at Watford. 
You know, it takes time. Guardiola went through a six-game run where he didn't win a game at Man City in his first season. With all the tens of millions backing that club, he needed time to put things in place. Daniel Farke at uh, Norwich City, first season, 16th place, Norwich fans calling for his head, they'd finished 8th the previous season. He even got off to a poor start in his second season and yet ran away with the league title. You just need to look behind the scenes what's happening and if you see the change taking place that you want, you've got to give that manager time. Graham Taylor wouldn't have you know, ever produced that uh, title-winning team if the board at that time had looked at his performance in his first two seasons. So I think that's interesting as well because the point there that you've made is if you see behind the scenes things are going well and I think a lot of fans probably don't see that and I would mm. hope that's a message that they take away that from uh, a board point of view, from the chairman's point of view in actual fact things are happening correctly things are happening and developing at a good pace behind the scenes you're happy with it but that's not something that people see every day unfortunately so I think that's quite a strong message Yeah, absolutely So, Anything more on social media Ben? Um, Liam's just smiling away yeah. on social media. <laughs> no, it's 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 obviously a. I mean, we're, we're discussing this after quite a you know quite a serious thing that's happened in the news with regards to social media. And, and it was at this point that Ben went into a bit of a ramble. Time. I don't know whether that was reciprocated at board level or whether the discussions were had afterwards but this year it seems like lessons have been learned and I think that's the from my point of view and particularly from from others it's it's learning that the lessons understanding that lessons have been learned by the club which kind of then tries to dampen down the negative the immediate negative wave if that makes sense I'm um, sorry you've lost me <laughs> Sorry, was that, was that an analogy? Yeah, 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 sorry, at I, least I, it's not an analogy. Do you know what? I don't know if that's a question, a statement. No, it's, I, my head hurts. I, oh. hey, Clive, what's your favourite cheese? <laughs> you know what I mean. It's, it's, God, is that from Jack Mulhall? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll probably edit some of that out. <laughs> I just I went off on a bit. No, but it's, it's, it's learning to to acknowledge when the club make the mistakes and, and getting that the balance right to to negate the the level of... Liam doesn't come in in the morning. I don't wake up in the morning and say, how can I piss off our fan base? (laughs) All right? Nobody does that. I mean, every decision we make, I promise you, is with the intention of doing it in the best interests of the club. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get it wrong. Um, You know, one of the recent ones was when we initially decided we were going to play the third kid, Just discussing that you know, uh, against Peterborough. Right. You know, th- there were good intentions, but those that made the decision didn't see the consequences. Mm. So as soon as it comes out, oh, okay, didn't mm. see that, let's unravel that. But it wasn't, you know, to hurt the club or, you know, make the fans angry it was good intentions you know uh, there was another one a couple of seasons back we played Sheffield Wednesday in a friendly and alright there was a hullabaloo about us closing off the solemnity to our fans and then there was also another incident which 
you know, we, we had to suddenly close off um, ticket sales for that game at 12 o'clock on the Thursday or something. Oh, and, you know, the reaction from some fans as to how negative it was. Now, it wasn't Liam waking up that morning and saying, how can I piss off our fan base today? Let me do this. All right. There was the police coming and saying, you will do that because Donald Trump is arriving. Our forces have to be, you know, moved out to look at something else. This happens. You can't always go out and explain exactly why a decision is made. But all I can assure you is nobody is trying to do anything that's negative for our fan base. Sometimes decisions just have to be made um, you know, with broader interests uh, in play. Well, there's my headline. Liam doesn't go to piss off fans uh, every day. I did, do you know what, Liam? That's, that's a positive, isn't it? Well, look, I'm not sure everybody out there would actually believe that story. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% listen, sure on that. Listen, it's an occupational hazard, I think, at, at, at times. But I've said, you know, we, we've spoken, Gary, in the supporters board, and we've been, you know, a fair that I genuinely think, and, and you know, if if the fans have the information that we have to 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 you know that we have to hand, and as part of the considerations we have at, at our decision making, I think ninety percent of the fans would agree with the decisions that we make at the times. So there is always going to be those subjective decisions and those ones that sit right on the on the cusp. Um, but yeah, just to echo what what Clive said, you know, we you know we genuinely try and make you know it's always for the best interest of the football club. Um, sometimes there are byproducts of those decisions, but it, it certainly doesn't start off at, at those those points. Um, and, and, and look, equally, it's the it's the evolution of the uh, of the football club as well from from those national league days. You know, in order to compete, there are going to have to be certain concessions that that. Are made and you know let, let's let's be really honest. You know one of the one of the favourite topics is is the Legends Lounge. You know there are still people in and around um, Block One and Two that 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 you know are, are grossly unhappy at, at that you know decision coming in. But the knock-on effect, the positive knock-on effect of that is that you know the season ticket price that everybody else pays or the match ticket price doesn't have to to increase. And again, if you know without trying to you know, justify those certain decisions too much. You know, in 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 possibly, you know, if this football club didn't have the fan at the centre of the decision, we'd be bringing in the Legends Lounge and we'd be rising ticket prices. Or you know, so I think there's always a compromise. And 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 look, yeah, definitely don't wake up in the morning, um, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> aiming to upset people. Except that that you know I do sometimes. But hopefully, you guys have known me. You know, uh, seen. You know my work. You know nearly nearly three years now. With that, you know some. You know if we do make mistakes, or if we do things, you know get things wrong, we'll always try and be objective and, and reflect and and try and improve them for the year after. And you know hopefully the season ticket window one is is an example of that. And hopefully there are many other examples. You know over the last two and a half years, particularly your goal on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've moved towards a light-hearted uh, final few questions now because it's getting late late yeah. in the day. Um, so uh, this is kind of a question to uh, both of you. We'll start with Clive. The what's the best thing and the worst thing, uh, a worst aspect about your role with the club? Best aspect. Um, the success we've achieved. Uh, the memories that will last forever. Um, yeah, um, and it's, yeah. Uh, 
Nathan Arnold's goal in that replay against Ipswich. You know, that will just be one of the most amazing moments in my life. Being at MK Dons when we won 2 0 to essentially wrap up the League 2 title. I wasn't here for the Burnley game, but watching it at home with the whole, my family, a lot of friends, and seeing Sean Raggett's goal go in, I am, you know, even if I get no money out from that investment, I think the memories that I've got in return for that, I would absolutely do it all over again. Which was the better memory, Nathan Arnold's goal or Sean Raggett's goal? The thing about Nathan Arnold's goal, it's the way it happened, I think. As he went round the keeper, time almost stopped. It's like, it went. I remember it going through my mind, we're going to do it. And then it happened. And I think it was early in the process, there weren't, at that point, maybe the expectations that had built up subsequently. It was still so new to us. Uh, and I don't think very many of us thought we were going to beat Ipswich in the replay. That maybe we had missed out on the opportunity in the first run, in the first game. Yeah, I think I was. Uh, I've, I've sort of made no bones about it, but that was the first match that I'd been to in, in quite a while, um, for sort of some personal reasons. And uh, what you described is is exactly you know what what happened. We were sat on the second row of the co-op, um, and after that goal was scored. Um, I, I suddenly found myself in a massive huddle of people at the barrier to the co-op celebrating with the players and, and the, the, the fans that had uh, swarmed forward with it and I just thought, how have I managed to get here? And I spoke to my friends afterwards and went, Ben, I have never seen you move that fast in all the time I've known you. Because <laughs> I think I basically just jumped over the seats in front and just ran um, and it, it cemented everything, really. It was, yeah, that's by far the, the moment for me, I think. And if you had to choose between two goals, it's Arnold's every I day. Nathan's every day. Yeah. I told Nathan the other week as well. And he was asked to pick between Gateshead and the Ipswich game. And for me, I don't think there's a choice there. The Gateshead goal was important when we were going mm. up, but that moment. Yeah. And I know we're talking about Burnley today. And you know, I don't like always living in the past because the football club moves forward. And I kind of I, I said to that effect, but there are certain memories that once a year I don't mind seeing on my feed. Yeah. And I think that was it. Absolutely. Did we was there any anything that uh, that you don't particularly enjoy about your role, Clive? Working with well, Liam, for example. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, no, that's uncalled for. Well, you've yeah, got to work with me. That's uncalled you... for. <laughs> we can do a one-man podcast, Liam, <laughs> next time if you want. Well, what would we do without a laptop? Well, there you go. You see, I bring the tape. I've got one. I mean, it's all, <laughs> and I've got one of these things as well. Or, just to say, I, as long as I don't have to mix anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The negative with Liam is, I mean, the time when we could speak <laughs> 10 times a day. Yeah. You know, I could be having dinner, the phone rings, and the family will say, Liam. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, they're probably right. Um, you know, we've had a lot of good times on the field uh, over the period I've been here, but there have been a lot of things that have happened behind the scenes that have been a battle to get to where we are today. And... That without a doubt has probably been the most difficult to have 
got the club on, you know, to where it is today. And uh, uh, at times there have been arguments and what have you and disagreements. Um, but that's just life, that's business. Um, you know, I had all those in my business years. What I didn't expect was maybe to have that coming into the football club because I certainly did not come in with any intention to be chairman uh, or to have the involvement that I did. All I wanted was to enjoy something I love very much. Wonderful. Liam, best and worst things about your... Um, Listen, I'm, I'm very lucky to work in such a, you know, in an industry, you know, in, in my 17 and a half years of, of working life, I've, I've spent, you know, 16 and a half of them working in football and I'm, I, you know, I'm very fortunate, you know, and, I, and you know, every day when I, when I get up to work, I genuinely look, look forward to coming, coming to work for that reasons. I think being, being honest, and I think a lot of people would say this, you know, the, frankly, the, the bullshit of the industry at times can, can wear you down and, you know, some of the things that go on behind the scenes, you know, the fact that failure pays at times and, 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 and players and agents and whatever else, not, you know, I think that can be galling at times. Um, and, and you always enter, you know, the, the this world with the very best intentions and uh, and you have to, frankly put, you have to sometimes compromise or else you won't be able to get certain things done. So, you know, I think sometimes, uh, you know, I think uh, that that certainly stings when you, you know, when you, you, you're looking at something that you would possibly deem as not being successful and, you you know, you, you financially that's costing more than you'd pay a member of staff a year for, for you know, 60 hours a, a week, 52 days, you know, days in 52 weeks a year. So, you know, the, there are elements of that, but that comes as a byproduct of, of the industry that we're in. So, you know, you have to be accepting of that. But equally, the memories that it creates and, you know, without sounding all corny about this, you know, you know, when you're out in the fan zone or when you're speaking to the fans, some of the memories and those experiences and, the, what the football club means to people, you know. One one thing that I'd like to think that we're, we're we're reasonably good at doing here is picking up on the positives on social media where people have, you know, uh, you know, are either having a tough time or maybe lost a family member, and there's, you know, we can organise a tour to the training ground or we can, you know, bring someone in the dressing rooms, and it's a relatively well. Let's be honest, it's a, for us who who work in this down, it's a reasonably simple thing to do. But it can make the world a difference to somebody, and it can even make their, you know, their week, their year, their month, whatever it may be. So I think we're very lucky to work in in an industry that that can do that. But in terms of standout moments, sadly, you know, obviously I joined after the, um, you know, the National League and, and the FA Cup. Um, but watching on from afar, it was it was great to see. Um, for me, you know, I turned around at, at Wembley, and there's you know twenty seven thousand Lincoln City fans, and there's. Dawn Cousins, who's been here for 35 years, you know, crying her eyes out. You know, Mark Broughton, an associate director, who's, he's a big bugger, you know, he won't mess with him. And he's, you know, he's sobbing like, you know, probably shouldn't say this, but he's, you know, he's sobbing like a little baby. And that, that's what the football club means to people. And I think that's that's the one thing that, you know, when we when we get, you know, into our spreadsheets and looking at our data, that's the one thing that always anchors you and comes back to it. The fact that this is a game, it's a human you know the human touch to the industry that we're in is, is fantastic, and, and I think that's going back to the, the negative. I think that's what you know the reason why it frustrates you so much, and, and, and that you see people putting their heart and soul and, and hard-earned cash into things. 
Um, so it's always it's always that balance. But you know, hopefully, whatever my tenure is at this football club, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, at, at the end of it, people think that I've you know, hopefully done them proud, and and we've all been on it together and, and got more things right than wrong. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Anything more from you, Ben? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we didn't find out what Clive's favourite cheese was. We didn't, did we? I don't like cheese. Doesn't like cheese. There we go. Exclusive. The Bubba sandwich, you know, crisp flavours. Crisp flavours, yeah, crisp flavours as well. Crisps all This is what we have to put up with. Yeah. Sean Simons, or Sir Simons, <laughs> I think it is. Every time we get anybody, ask him what his favourite flavour of crisps are. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we say he wants to start a tuck shop, but. Um, <laughs> I'll, bl- I'll blow people's minds. I'll just. Uh, it's the way I am. Plain. Plain crisps. <laughs> can't argue with it. It was all we used to have growing up because we were too poor to have anything else. <laughs> Richmond or Riley's home brand. Anyway, that's enough of the sub stories. Well, thank you both very, very much uh, for being involved. And thank you, Ben, as well. Um, hopefully <laughs> it's been enjoyable. Thank you. Yeah. So if there is thank anything, if there are any other questions for, for me and Gary, we'll probably answer them next week. Yeah. Don't you have anything to plug? You always um, have something to plug. Well, I've got the charity stream, but okay. I've... I've plugged that quite a lot, yeah. and it'd be uh, yeah, it'd be nice. Five pounds, and you might win. You well, at the minute you will win something. Brilliant! I won a game last year that I've never played that didn't come in a proper box. Because it's, it's a promo copy. <laughs> then we had there was handwritten on it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good game. Um, yeah, wonderful. So whether we might put something out um, after this, we might record tomorrow night as yes. it is and talk about Accrington and talk about uh, whether we play on Saturday. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's the return of Steve Evans. Yeah, and I'm not going to be there because oh. I'm doing things for charity. Look at me, I'm so good. Okay. <laughs> but, Wonderful. Well, yeah. I think that's goodbye from me. Yes, thank you ever so much, guys. It's very much appreciated, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cheers. around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.